only ever be where you are right now. What is your podcast? It's the major investment in your life, right? The journey will always be your journey. Yes, what's good, my friends? It's Adam here from the Bolderger Podcast. Welcome to episode 93 on Life and Death Part 2. As always, this tasty episode brought to you by Bolderger.com, where you guys can pick up that ebook, Crash Course Kick Ass Day Game, get your day game sorted. You can book one on one Skype coaching. And if you're looking for custom packages, ongoing packages, inquire within, destroy those limiting beliefs, create action plans. It's a good time. And also, if you're looking to dive in on those deep, immersive boot camps, get the path of illumination going for your social side of your temple. Man, serious inquiries only, all at boldoja.com. Now, if you would like to support this podcast, you can do so by donating through my PayPal link, which is paypal.me forward slash A-D-A-M-O-O-I, Adamui. And I'm just so grateful to those of you that have been supporting the podcast in that way. Thank you so much. Now, in this episode, we dive into the part two of what was something very interesting last year of me recounting the lessons of sitting down with the parents who had lost their own child because he took his own life in my best friend, Matt. So this year, I talk about what happened in the third anniversary of that, of my conversation that happened just a week ago, go through the lessons of that. We also go into encouraging meditation on death, the visualization and what it means to cultivate your own being through the process of understanding death. And towards the end, we hit, we touch on the magic of life. It's very much me just opening up my own spirit to you guys. So be ready, be ready. This is going to be a, might be a tear joker. It might be a emotional string puller. So without further ado, let's dive. Yo, what's up my friends? Welcome back to the Potter. Today we're going to be talking about on life and death part two. Now we're going to skip, well, there's not really that much context other than what was the context of last year which was the first time we did a podcast on this nature, on the topic of death and really addressing some of the not-so-pleasantries of our existence as human beings. And it all revolved around the second... Well, last year was the second anniversary. Well, I guess, no, it's the first anniversary. No, second. No, it's definitely the second. Second anniversary of my one of my best friends passing away. Uh, Shout-out to Matt. And, you know, for those of the regulars, you guys, if you even heard that potter, but even if you haven't heard that potter, you would have seen in my other content and heard in my other content that I speak a lot about him. He was a huge influence on my life and you know we came up together in the journey. So before we get into this, Potter, I might just give a bit of background, not right now, but I will in a sec, for those of you that have no idea who Matt is, because that's where we're going to start today, because the third anniversary of Matt's passing away was just last weekend. And uh, so I want to talk about what it was like speaking with his parents again, because this is now a regular thing for me. That last year was the first year that I went out of my way to just go and sit with them and talk to them about how they're feeling. Uh, because, you know, and of course, it's going to make more sense when I give, for those of you that don't know Matt's, how Matt passed away, uh, suicide, long battle with what doctors could not nail down as most likely being schizophrenia, but uh, there's a lot more to it. It's a much deeper story than that. But, you know, being, being parents and so me just sitting there and learning from them. And it's, so I went back this year and I went back and had another conversation with them. And that was the catalyst for last year's On Life and Death Part 1. <clears throat> Let me get some of this Mitsu in. Some of this old water. Yeah, shout out to, uh, shout out to the, matcha, the matcha fam. There's no matcha today because I ran out. Fuck. <laughs> I fucked up, man. I fucked out, I ran out of matcha, but it's actually, it's not a bad thing because down here in Adelaide, South Australia right now, it is hot as a bitch. It was 46 degrees Celsius yesterday, which is 114F. That'll melt your face right off. That is an intense heat. It's like, it's so hot that the wind, the, the wind is that of a sauna. It's crazy. 
But I'm not complaining because winter was long. The long night was here for a long time, actually. You know, winter's coming, winter was here. So, speaking of which, you guys hyped up for Game of Thrones this year? <laughs> I know we're getting off, we're getting off here, so I am hyped for Game of Thrones this year, though. It's going to be spectacular. It's coming up soon, April. So, yeah, context, that's, so on life and death, what we're going to discuss in this potto is we're just going to dive into some of the things that I guess we don't really like to. That's what I want to do with you guys here today. And yeah, there's no plan, but I want to start with what it was like the second time going back and speaking with Matt's parents and what I learned from them in that process. And if shout out to the gram, those of you that saw my little mini review, I guess you could say, or mini reflection of when I came home from that meeting and uh, it was a little more positive than last time. So we'll talk about that. I also want to talk about um, just some meditating on death, just meditation of death. And, you know, it's just the magic of life. I guess that's what today's going to be about. So, yeah. So, oh, that's right. I said I would give some context as to uh, Matt's story in case you haven't gone back and listened to part one. Although I would highly recommend that if you haven't heard part one, you should probably go back and listen to that first. Although it's not it's not 100% necessary. It's not like you, you're not going to get this. Not like you're not going to get this if you don't, if you haven't have heard number one. But it just would help because... The podcast is the journey. Uh, my relationship with you guys is the journey. So it's all, it's all building in. So yeah, very quickly, just short here. Um, Matt and I came up together. I always saw him as you know the older brother type. He was one of my one of my closest wings. We did everything together in that nature. We were the guys that were having the arguments at two a.m. in the beanbags in our gaming room, just talking about the existence of life and what happens after life and potential of gods and potential of um, omniscient beings, omnipresent beings controlling our lives, all this different stuff. He was the person I could go into that with. And, uh, you know, he's also who I started the cold approach journey with. He was much further ahead of the journey than I was. And so by all amount, by all accounts, he was the last person you would think that would be afflicted and succumb to a mental illness that would eventually cause him to end his own life. He was the last person you would think that of. And it's actually something I was speaking about with his parents. It's something that we were talking about last weekend. And they said every time, actually, it's just like, you just never would have, you never would have expected. I think that's why it's hit them so, so hard. Not saying that it doesn't hit other parents hard for whatever the reason why their child decided to take their own life. But I think it was just such a shock to them personally for them because Matt was the, you know, they barely even saw Matt during those years when he was with me because we were out so much. We were out so much, but in those last few years of his, uh, before he decided to end it, you know, he, he never left his room. He never left his house. He changed as a human being. Now, I, I just a little bit, a little more context here as to what the, because I'm sure now you're going like, how the fuck did that happen then? How does someone go from that, that end to that end, if you know what I mean? Well, uh, the best way that the doctors described it was that there were what's known as seizures on a microscopic level happening in between the synapses in his brain in which that his brain wasn't able to make connections anymore and he wasn't able to express emotions, feelings. And if you could really uh, sum it up, he just didn't feel like he was Matt anymore. So so that, that's just a little context. Just a little context. I'm not going to go too much into that. I think I might have explained it a lot more in the first one if you want to know more about it. But yeah, and so and one day he just decided that... Uh, he just didn't want to live anymore, so he decided to end it. How he decided to end it, that stays between uh, me and his close friends and family. But you can imagine, uh, 
I, you can take your imagination to wherever that is. That's something that I will withheld just for the um, privacy of his parents, just for out of respect of his parents. I'm sure he wouldn't mind me saying it, uh, looking back, but just out of respect for his parents. Let's, we'll leave it at that. So, so last, so, uh, yeah, yeah, and actually in the first in the first potter, I described what the funeral process was, and also for the, for context here, this was the first time. I'd ever had someone real close to me, someone I would consider pretty much family. We're not blood family, but we spent that much time together. We had that relationship together where we would have uh, considered each other brothers on on the deepest of levels. You know, it was the first time that I had someone like that uh, depart from this world and go into whatever may be next, if there is anything. So that was a very interesting experience for myself and for Jordan at the time, who was uh, just as close to Matt as well. And so I described our our understanding of it, how we were able to be the dry eyes in the house at the funeral, the only dry eyes, so to speak, not because uh, we were so shocked or because we were bottling it in, no, because we had come to harmony with it. I spoke a lot about that in the first potter, so go back to listen to that. Um, I also spoke about it with Glenn as well. I spoke about it with Glenn on our dual podcast, Glenn Money. Shout out. So there's that. I'll leave that for today. But that was the first. So that was that was funeral. Then the first year on. So the the actual anniversary, the first year, all of the boys got together. It was like ten or fifteen of us. Shout out to Roy. Roy was there. My brother was there. We went to Matt's parents' place, and we all just had a big old barbecue. Uh, it was pretty hot. I had to swim in the pool, just kind of shoot the shit. But what was very interesting about that experience was that, of course, his parents were. Well, his mom was able to hold it together a lot more than his father was. His father was an absolute uh, wreck at the time. Uh, Shout out to Albert if you're listening. I love you, but of course, that's what it was. Call it how it is. And it's understandable, completely understandable. No one's going to repair in a year uh, from that type of thing. Well, I'm not going to say no one, but for where those two were at, for where his parents were at in their spiritual, psychological, emotional development, definitely a year is not enough time for them to repair over their only son, not their only child, but their only son taking his own life. So it's understandable, absolutely, for sure. But what I found very interesting amongst the younger of us, of because we're all pretty much within the same peer group, Matt's friends, and Matt was the year above me. So they were all Roy's mates, and they all hung out together. So they're, what, 92s, born in 92, most of them, maybe 91s for the slightly older ones, <clears throat> and I'm 93. So... What I found really interesting as I was in that night and just looking back, and I don't think I ever really reflected on it until just now, which is that they, no one was discussing it. No one was discussing Matt at all. And I found that very, now looking back, I find that very strange. I find that very strange, but I also think that's a, maybe a symptom of the male bravado of being young men, not trying to show their pain, not trying to show their emotions in full and you know what, to be honest, I would have loved if we all just sat around and shared some memories or shared how we had each individually dealt with the process and just listened to each other. But that wasn't there. And I don't I don't know these guys that well. Like I know them from high school, you know, but it's like, you know, you you fist bump on the way to biology. You know, it's not like <clears throat> they're in a different year. We didn't spend any time together really, other than a couple of cheeky nights out. Shout out to actually to, to Marshall who was trying to fuck up one of my sets. I was that close to pulling this girl. I spoke about this in the guy to be the ultimate wig. And uh, I was this close to taking this girl into the cab and we were going to have a great night together. And he just kept, he was the guy coming over to me, just shouting out some explicits, shouting out some explicits. 
Uh, this guy's got a piece on him. Anyways, <laughs> uh, but so I knew him a little bit more from Cheeky Nights Out, but I didn't know any of them on a deep emotional level. So I do understand that, but I think it would have been nowadays if it was to happen, I would probably instigate that conversation now. Because I think if when you get a group of 10 to 15 guys around that have all have this mutual experience of someone so close to them, <clears throat> it took his own life, is no longer in this life. I think it would have been really mutually beneficial for all of us to just share some insight, just personally, looking back now. Anyways, that was that's what happened the first time through, and none of us really spoke to his parents much about what they were dealing with, how they experienced the whole situation. Maybe it was too raw, maybe just we weren't comfortable, I don't know, but it just didn't happen. So the next year, which was last year, I made a concerted effort to have a one-on-one with them, where... Because I was gonna, br- I was gonna go over and bring flowers anyway, but instead of just like just leaving it at the door or just saying, "Yeah, I got to run now," you know, instead of just dipping out, I decided that I would actually like to sit and learn from these two and try to understand what it's like to be a parent in this day and age that had their own child take their own life. I, I need to understand this. I need to get into their heads. I need to, from a development, a development perspective, from the perspective of becoming a more developed human being to be prepared for if it ever happens in my life, whether my own children go through this or whether close other friends of mine or close other family members of mine and their children go through this, it seems like a waste of an opportunity to not actively pursue the humble act of learning from these two. And so that's what I did. I I went there and I went there with an open book and I just sat there on the couch and I just said, how's it going? I started with, how's it going? And man, the floodgates opened. Floodgates open, and I won't talk too much about it that time because that's what last the last Potter was on, on on Life and Death Part One. But you can say that I don't. I said back then. I'll just say it now, just just for just to tie it up, that I don't feel like anyone else had done this for them because the floodgates just erupted. I sat there for three hours. I sat there for three hours doing, saying nothing, doing nothing but listening. All I did was just listen to these two parents pour their hearts out. And talk about oh, everything, everything to do with the pain of this situation. And it was uh, it was tough. I'm not gonna lie. I was fragged after it. I was mentally quite not destroyed, but just destroyed, duh. destroyed, duh. not destroyed, but destroyed because it's it's something. It's something to feel that pain. It's a pain like you don't know. It's a raw pain that you do not know. And I still don't know because it didn't really. It didn't happen to me on the same level that it happened to them. But uh, I got a little closer. I got a little window into it just by actively engaging that conversation. So fast forward a year, another year goes by. And, you know, we lived our lives. I've lived my life the past year. They've lived their lives. And uh, Matt's anniversary, so the third anniversary, or second anniversary then. No, third. Yes, third. Getting confused with these numbers. Third anniversary rolls by and everybody's, hey, I need to do this again. Now, it wasn't an opportune time. I'm not going to lie. It was not an opportune time last weekend for me to go over there. They live on the other side of town. It's not like a five-minute drive. It's probably a half-hour drive over there, half-hour back. And uh, I'm not going to lie, based on my own schedule, that was a hectic hectic weekend. I had a lot of coaching to do. But I realized that this time of the year happens once, and this is a marker for your development, Adam. So what the hell do you think you're doing? even entertaining the idea that you would either delay this or not do this at all. So I crushed that weed straight away and go, get your ass up, get them flowers, and you're going to go engage this conversation. 
And this is what I said on the gram. Shout out to Uwe Tang One, Double O I Tang One. If you're not there, you should be. Tell your mum as well. And uh, I'm not lying about that, by the way. I've got a lot of mums that follow that gram. Shout out to the DMs. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what a side tangent. So I get over there. And so, oh, yeah, so I was saying is that on the gram, I was talking about how it's not easy to willingly engage a conversation of this nature because you know it is loaded. You know going into it that this is going to be tough. This is going to be difficult. This is going to be raw. This is going to be painful. Because even though I don't go over there saying like like a psychologist sitting down going, okay, so how's the past year been for you two after the death of your child? It's not like that. But but we all know. We all know that's what I've come to talk about. So it's just a matter of how quickly does the small talk get over and done with. So I get there. They're home. And it's actually opportune timing as well because they'd only just arrived uh, they got back, they were out all day and they got back like 15 minutes before I did. So it worked out quite well. And so I step in, they offer me a glass of water, take that water. We sit down on the couch. I sit in the exact same position that I was last year on their couches. And they sit on the, you can go to imagine that the couch I'm sitting on, it's like a, it's imagine like a, um, for those on YouTube, you can see it. It's like a V positioning and I'm, I'm on the right side there on the left side. And, and so we're facing towards the TV. And so I get, they put the flowers in the vase and we start talking. It's just, you know, small talk, talking about the basketball, talking about the tennis, talking about it's hot as shit, talking about Christmas, New Year's. And what I noticed though this year is that the small talk got cut even faster, that it was really only a minute's worth before we started talking about Matt and we started talking about photos. There's big photos around. And I realized that it's like, as this, as it's like going over the waterfall but really slowly, and I'm just waiting. I'm just waiting for the last inch of the canoe to fall off before we really go into a free fall here and dive into what the past year has been for these two. And I'm just, but this time I'm ready for it because last year I wasn't ready. Last year I was not ready for the level of pain, which is why I felt the need to stay there for three hours because I was a bit shocked myself. But this time I'm ready for it because I know, well, I'm ready for what could happen. I don't know how they're going to be. But within a minute, we, we cut the small talk, they start talking. And what I noticed immediately is that this was the first time that I had heard some form of positivity come out from either of them in terms of not just because a lot of what comes out from them came out from the last time and the year before and at the funeral as well. And this is what most people do is that they blame themselves. They put the responsibility on themselves for the death of their loved ones, saying that they could, they should have been, that they should have done more. They should have listened to him more when he was saying these things. And, you know, I know his sister holds that big time. I know his sister hold herself, holds herself accountable for his uh, taking of his own life because, you know, he, he was saying apparently for weeks beforehand, maybe even months beforehand, that, you know, I'm going to end it one day, guys. I'm going to end it one day. <clears throat> None of them really took it seriously. Because, you know, it's just something that he would say every now and again and it never happened. So, uh, you know, they all kind of hold that. They all kind of hold that inside and that's something that I'm sure it's going to take a lot of work to remove. And so that's typically the first place that they'll go. But I noticed this time his mom said something to the effect of, you know, during those last three years where in his three-year decline that we refer to it as, where we, he wasn't really Matt anymore, we got to spend every single day with him. Because generally speaking, we would ne- and this is what she's saying to me, generally speaking, we would never see him because he'll be out with you or he'll be out with his other friends. So at least in those three years when he was under mental care and whatnot, 
at least we got to spend every day with him. And it was that was like the first light bulb of learning for me. It's like, okay, so three years on, this is the first shred of positivity I've heard from them. Every other time, it has just been when we go over that waterfall, it's the darkest of darkest stuff. It's the most painful and the rawest of stuff that comes out. And it's just tears right from the get. But it wasn't tears right from the get. It was positivity right from the get. And there's just, I'm looking back at that. I'm looking back, I'm on the drive back, I'm thinking, if this wound that is so deeply cut into these parents is like a thousand kilometers long, today I felt like there was the first stitch put in. I felt like the first stitch was put into this thousand kilometer deep wound because I could just sense some form of positivity. And in my young mind, in my young learning mind, and I guess that's all this Potter is, at least for the, sorry, at least for the beginning here, before we start to talk about some of my own thoughts on things. I'm just trying to learn. I'm just trying to see where these two are at. And I'm not trying to overgeneralize or over-extrapolate that this is what it means for everyone else and this is how other parents will go through it. Oh, so it takes three years to get over to get to the first sign of positivity? No. All I'm saying is that this is what I'm noticing. This is what I'm observing. So that was something for me. And it, what was another thing as well is that typically his mom has been able to hold it together more emotionally for at least just a little bit longer than his father. His father uh, definitely breaks a lot sooner, like really soon actually. And so what I noticed this time though is that his father not only looked better physically, the the, the first two years after it, uh, he looked like a shell of himself. Just not, you could tell he probably hadn't had a good night's sleep in two years. And that's not exaggerating either. I, I mean that literally. And had, you could tell he lost a tremendous amount of weight and just very uh, ghastly, very ghastly in the face. But this year, I felt like, and this time when I came in, I felt like he looked a little bit healthier, looked like he was sleeping a little bit more, and he wasn't breaking into tears right from the beginning, which is exactly what was happening in the past couple. And actually, it was his mom that broke into tears uh, first. So that was another change, another thing that was just, I'm just noting down, just difference. Okay, observations here. I wonder what's happened for each, uh, each of them. That's led to this. Let me dive in a little bit more on this. And so and so he starts, they start talking more about just memories. Uh I start talking about there was this one guy. This is interesting. There was this guy. Shout out to uh should I say his name? Yes, I can say his name. There's no problem with saying his name. His name's Damien. And he was a friend of Matt's that I didn't know very well. They, they, they were part of the, uh, <laughs> only Jordan would know me. So they were part of a group that we called the collective, uh, or the, uh, <laughs> this is a cheeky name, the rainbow collective. <laughs> I think you know what that is. Anyways, it was a, it was a collective name for the group that we knew the, those friends as. And he made a post on Matt's public Facebook wall, which is still up. I think it was about three months ago, maybe two or three months ago. So it took him about two years or so to make this post. And basically it was a full-on post of him saying that he didn't come to the funeral and he hasn't chimed up. He didn't make any, he didn't reach out to any of us. He didn't reach out to anyone that knew Matt. When Matt passed away, he just saw the, the public posts and he went to deal with it on his own. And in this post, he was talking about how he was just too immature at the I'm sorry if that's the wrong word, Damien, but at least that was the essence of what you were saying is that you were not mature enough to understand what was going on, to fully internalize that Matt was no longer here anymore, that he's actually dead, right? his body's not here anymore. So 
so he just and his response to that i think this is very interesting his response to that was to shell up and to 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 not reach out to community and there's a lot of community around matt as well matt was a very popular guy there the the funeral was packed absolutely packed and but he he shut off from all that and so he made a huge post anyway about how now he was ready after two years essentially to start reaching out to people and to start to just start reaching out to people and i found that very interesting that it took someone two years uh, of our age although i will will say though that uh damien by very nature is very introverted i believe or at least he was when i first met him so anyways that was a different thing we were I i was telling them about that story i told them about that and then so they start uh they were asking me about if they thought if there was any other people that's suffering that were suffering because of matt's passing away and how they would have felt that matt would not have wanted that for them and i was saying that that was probably the only person that i knew of that is still to this day at least up until that post anyway still causing himself internal suffering because of it um yeah i was just we'll just talk we'll talk and then and then all of a sudden very it's only like five minutes in or so something i'm not sure what phrase it was or what word or what sentence or what topic we were on triggered it but his dad just absolutely broke down uh it was beautiful it's beautiful and you know they they they, and they both did they both did they both start you know going over that waterfall so to speak and you know they apologize and that's an interesting thing as human beings apologizing for their emotions sorry just on, my phone, on my hand there's something uh, interesting about that because of course the entire time i'm saying no let it out no, let's go. Let's go. I'm not saying let's go, but that's my energy towards. It's like, no, this is fine. This is absolutely fine. This is what I came for. And it's just, it's so interesting how we just slide into that and how this time around, it felt so much more comfortable for me to go through this with them and that I wasn't heating up. Like my circuitry wasn't heating up. I felt really cool and really calm and just ready to absorb here. And so we did. And so we dived in. And so that's all... That's all I want to say on the experience itself. It was much short. It wasn't three hours this time. I'll say this time was about an hour. But I feel like that was what was needed. And I will say this at the end, that they were ridiculously humble and ridiculously grateful for my presence on that day. They, they just could not stop singing praise as I was leaving. They barely even could let me leave. It took me like 10 minutes to leave as I'm like walking out the door because they just they were really grateful that I made the physical effort to come over and willingly now of course they're not saying this but that's what they're respecting there they're respecting that i took the time out of my day to come over and engage this conversation and not just not shy away from it and one of my other mates i was telling him about it goes that uh you know it's really good that you did that adam i'm i'm just uh i I just haven't had the courage to do that and i fully i respect that i understand that if that's where you're at absolutely and to that guy who I had those words with. I'm not going to mention your name because I'll let you say a face. <laughs> but I, I would love, they would love for you to come around. They would love for you to come around. Imagine if it was your child that took his own life. Wouldn't you want his best friends to come around and check up on you? Yeah, that's that's part of my thought process as well. Is that if this ever happened to me, how much would it mean to myself and my wife that my child's best friends cared enough each and every single year to come around and just just check in? Just see what's going on, and yeah. So, so, anyways, it's it was it was a very interesting perspective to come from it to come at it this time for me anyway. And so, with that, I just want that's 
it's like a it's part context but it's also because i guess this is the that's part of the context of what i really wanted to get into today but it's also as you can tell more than just context we've been going on this for a while <clears throat> but it brings me to the next thing here of meditation on death i feel like i feel like meditating on death is very important it's very important to us as human beings because of the emotional response it elicits first and foremost and what does that signal to us I think it signals to us our attachment. And so what I've been doing recently, and what was interesting is that I've been doing this, I've been doing this for some time, like actively, well before I was, and I don't just do it in preparation to go speak with Matt's parents. I I do this just in my own day-to-day, in my own day-to-day meditations, I do this where I would just visualize and really try to embody the departure all of my of all of my loved ones, of all my close friends, of all my close family members. I try to visualize it. I try to I try to go through the most heinous, fucked up, messed up situations and feel it. And feel it. Feel what it's like to to come to come home one day and your house is burned down and you found out that your family was trapped inside during it. To to find out one day that uh your brother was killed in a car accident or to find out one day that your mother was caught up in a uh, side street shooting or that her, her building collapsed or something, you know, just ridiculously, ridiculous things. I, I try to, I try to go into that as much as possible because as a child, I think we all remember this as children that you might not be able to remember the exact moment, but you could probably recall as a child, the first idea or first inkling you had or that life is precious, that life isn't here forever, that these people aren't here forever, that we all have to go someday, sometime. And in the best case scenario, and this is really interesting, why is it the best case scenario that it be from old age? Why is that the best case scenario? And you start to ask these questions. and, And well, actually, normally it stops at number one. It stops just at the the idea of that you would be living through this life without your brother, without your mother, without your sister, without your close best friend. And that, or your girlfriend, or your wife, your partner, husband, fiance, these people that you see on the day-to-day, every single person you can think of, imagine that person's no longer here anymore, and that just scares you, it frightens you so much, to the point where you would rather not think about it. And you actually say to yourself, don't think about that. Stop thinking about that. Now, for some of you, and for me for a long time, it was, don't think about that because you're going to bring it on. Don't think about death because you're going to manifest death. And for a long time, that was my perspective towards it. It's not anymore because that was a part of, that was a part of my journey where I was 100% six-gear positivity, positive manifestation, and I completely ignored the darkness of life. I completely ignored the demons within my own mind. I completely ignored the undersigned and the balancing polarity of the darkness of life. And that's extremely unhealthy. It's ridiculously unhealthy and it's, it's, uh, it's padding. It's padding your life. It's padding your mind. And I feel like that is only going to set you up. That is only going to set you up to crack, to crack under the pressure when pressure is applied. And at some point in your life, pressure will be applied some point in your life, you are going to lose your best friend or your best friend's going to lose you or you're going to lose your parents or your parents are going to lose you or you're, something's going to happen there where if you're not at least 
willing to accept that this is a nature of reality, I feel like you're just going to be a potter, a pottery. You're going to be a you're going to be a vase, a clay vase that is just going to crack. Whereas that's not what I want to be. I want to be a water-like being. I want to be a water-like being that, through the most tumultuous of storms, through the most, through the greatest adversities that one could face, I can mold around it. I can change my form. I can shift. I can absorb. I can. I cannot be attached. I can let go. I can freely accept what is coming in, reflect it back, and then let go. You know, it's there's a quote that I recently just read. When things appear, reflect them. When things disappear, let them go. I don't remember which philosopher said that, but it's in the Diamond Sutra by Red Pine. Well, Diamond Sutra by the Buddha, but interpreted and put together by Red Pine. Anyways, you know, that's that's the type of person I want to be. I want to be the type of person that can reflect life back to itself and that when things do appear, I can just, uh, sorry, disappear, I can just let them go. I can just let them go. And that, I would say, on the most important level is with people. I think with people. Because I think from a biological perspective and an evolutionary perspective, someone asked me a great question on the gram a couple of weeks ago when I was talking about attachment, but more in a more sexual sense. Talking about one of my clients who's super attached to this girl. And uh, this uh, this girl asked me, where do you think this attachment comes from? Do you think it's culture? Do, where do you think it comes from? It's a great question. And what I think is that, I think is that our current society is does not necessarily set us up for success when it comes to the leaving and the losing and the and and losing is such an interesting word because it's it's a standard word it's a standard word that we all use it's it's ingrained it's ingrained in our vernacular that we lose people but it's actually not how I view it I don't view death as ever losing anything because I never owned anything I never gained anything they were never mine to keep Matt was never mine to keep. My mum was never mine to keep. So when they leave, I don't lose them. Their presence may not be here anymore, but I never owned their presence in the same way that I don't own the loving emotions of a girl that I'm sexually intertwined with and then she one day decides to be of someone else, decides to be on her own. I decide to be of someone else. I decide to be on my own. We decide together. They went all right for each other. We don't lose each other. We just move on. And... This progression, this uh, asusumas progression in Japanese, it's it's to me the perspective that I'm currently manifesting on, cultivating on, trying to bring more into my being that we just move. We just move forward and we just move on. So I was going on some. oh yeah, the meditating on death. So bringing this back here. I try to do this as much as I can in my own life. Let me reset. And I do this because I don't want to be fragile. Like I said before, I don't want to be the clay pot. I don't want to be the clay pot that under a certain amount of pressure just goes ding and then just the whole thing falls apart. I don't want to be like that. For my own children when the day comes, for my own friends and family when their day comes, when anything rocks them in this type of way, I need to be that water-like being. And that water-like being to me is not attached. That water-like being to me relinquishes the idea of self as well. And this is, man, this, I'm not sure if we need to go into this right now because it's, it, it is intertwined. It is definitely there. But I feel like right now, this is the share time of you. I'm sharing what I'm working on with you guys at the moment. And relinquishing idea of self 
is another thing that I'm working on at the moment. It's not something that I've that I can fully say that I've mastered right now and that I'm at a completion point with. I'll let you know when I am. I'll I'll I'll, uh, I'll uh, either put it in book form or we'll do it in a potter. I'll do it in something when I when I come to it. But I am on that. That's part of my path right now. Part of my journey right now. That I'm learning as the Buddha laid down to walk the path of a bodhisattva and relinquishing idea of self. And also, I just want to clarify here for maybe those of you that are new or maybe for those of you that just may have been misinformed, mis, uh, I'm not a Buddhist. I might speak a lot on Buddhist philosophy, but I also speak a lot on Zen philosophy. Does that make me a Zenist? I speak a lot on Tao philosophy. Does that make me a Taoist? I speak a lot on life principles and human life principles. Does that make me a humanist? Life, human life principle-ist? No. Because I don't attach to any of these things. I just take the best of what I can see and integrate it into my own being and cultivate my own temple. So I'm not an ist of anything. And I feel like that only, especially as Lao Tzu laid down in the Tao Te Ching, I feel like that pulls you further away from the truth. When you start to identify with a certain uh, dogma, a certain manifesto, a certain way of being, and you now attach your identity to this, you've actually missed the point of it. You know, Christ wasn't a Christian. Buddha wasn't a Buddhist. Lao Tzu wasn't a Taoist. You know, so anyways, that's a different conversation, but I think we wrap that up nice. So meditating on on the death, I, I didn't really quite flesh this out because we, we got into a lot of uh, different uh, tangents, but it's something that I've been doing very, very regularly, and I encourage you guys, if you want to get stronger with it, because, the, yeah, going back to the child, the childlike thing and how I would avoid that, I would avoid it at all costs, and because I felt that, if I was to manif- if I was to marinate on death, that it would bring death into my life, and I feel like now looking back, that was such a, such a naive and such a v- veiled perspective. It was padded. It was protecting myself from the harshness of life, which I do not think is productive. You know, I'm very lucky to live in a life that I don't see death around me very often. You know, the most de- the death that I see on a regular basis is animals outside, like the food that I eat, or uh, outside on the walk, like, you know, it's like a dead bird on the path, or, you know, something like that, or cats, you know, or a possum or something like that. That's I see that death. I see the death of the, the uh, not in first hand, but, uh, you know, the meat that I eat for sure, but there's hadn't been a pass of a life going through there. But I don't get to see human death very regularly at all. It's not something that happens to me very regularly. And so the closest I can get is to visualize this. The closest I can get to that is to bring it in and to welcome it and to try to understand my own emotional responses to it. Why do I get so fired up? Why do I get this intense fight or flight response every time I think about the death of one of my close ones? Why does that happen? And so I just feel it and I'll, and I'll, and I'll sit there in a, in a controlled environment in my bed when every time when I'm meditating and I've got the window wide open and the birds are singing and, and the sun the sun's going down and I'm just lying down there and I'm and I'm thinking on this one thing like and I'm just visualize Adam, visualize this. How would you operate in this life if all of a sudden today, tomorrow, they weren't here anymore? How would you be? Would you be okay? And if you don't think you'd be okay, why not? Why not? Tell me why not. Right? Feel it. Feel it out. Walk through that life. Walk through your house knowing that those people aren't going to come back anymore. Walk through your life knowing that you can't call that person up. You can't 
you can't talk to them anymore, that you can't sit down at 2 a.m. with your best friend anymore and talk about the existence of human nature. We can't talk about that anymore. How are you going to be? And every time I get, and I'm feeling it now, like I'm feeling it now. I got, my heart rate is slightly increased and I'm getting a slight fight or flight response right now. Fight or flight response right now. I'm getting a little adrenaline go through my heart, but it's simmering back down because I know I'm going to be okay. I know I'm going to be okay and I'm, and I'm going to be okay because I've had the blessing of having gone through that experience once in my life and you can almost call it two times, sorry, three, if you were to count my closest pets that I had for, one was for 11 years and one was for 14 and it was all through my childhood years and uh, it's, I, I will for sure say that it's not on the same level as a human being and, I, and it's, that's an interesting thing to look at as well um, but you know, I spend every day of them for 13, 14 years of my life. You're gonna be, uh, you're gonna get some pretty intense emotional responses to that. And so, I've been blessed with that so far. And what I know is that three years on, after Matt's passing away, is that I'm okay. And not only am I more than okay, I'm better, I'm stronger, and that I'm now I'm actively seeking out the learning process around death. And that I, previous to that, I'm not trying to shy away from it. I'm not trying to protect myself from this anymore. Nice. Let's encourage it. Let's encourage it. And this is also not, this is me speaking to me right now. You guys have to understand that, that this is me speaking to me. And it was the same in the last potter. This is not an advice-based potter. I am not a death counselor. I am not a psychological specialist in dealing with death. All I am recounting and observing and putting forth to you is my observations, is my lessons, is where I'm at on the path. Is it right or wrong? It's that's that's your judgment to make, and I don't I don't really care. I don't really care because I might look back, I might look back on this in a year's time and go, wait, wow, he was way off. There's a whole I, I might I might transcend my own thoughts to the point where I feel like I'm way off right now in a year's time. I hope I do. Or maybe not way off, but maybe just adding a deeper layer, a deeper found more foundational layer to my understanding of death. That's all that this is, and that's why, that's why I had to get down. And to be honest, I was arguing about with myself about whether I would do this potter this year. I was thinking about it because this is a week later. You know, I could have done this earlier in the week for sure. I could have done it straight after if I if I really wanted to after going and seeing Matt's parents, but I didn't. And I felt like because mm, I'm not sure if I need to make a part two. But then I thought, but Adam, this is more than anything else a time capsule. This is more than anything else, an ability to be able to look back on your own thought processes. And I'm sure someone is going to get benefit from this. Why? Because last year, a whole bunch of you messaged me out saying, thank you for sharing such raw honesty with us. And uh, and I've said this again and again. I've said this again and again. The way that I've had people from across the world put their money where their mouth was and fly across the world from places like Germany, places like Vancouver, put their money where their mouth is, fly all the way down to Melbourne, Australia, just to take boot camp with me, never having met me, only ever having seen my content online. And we're willing to do that was because of the trust. And it's because of what I'm doing right now is that there's no, there's no, there's no bullshit coming from this. And so I feel like even if, even if you've never experienced death in your life and you feel like, it's not for me, or, or if you even feel like that, I'm not resonating with any of Adam's thoughts. I will always know for myself that if there is any other lesson underneath all of those things, it is sharing raw honesty with the world. It is sharing yourself with the world. 
in an unadulterated way, in a non-filtered way. And if there's if there's if there is a tactical lesson here beyond seeking out to understand death, seeking out to engage difficult conversations with parents that have lost their children, which let's be honest here, there's a lot of tactical advice there, but I'm speaking to the lowest common denominator that maybe can't see that right now. If there is one tactical thing here that I can just nail straight on, it is show up as who you are, put forward the raw, unfiltered version of who you are. And so that what that does for people is that it allows people to go yes or no. It allows people to go, I feel this guy and I love this guy, or I hate this guy, I hate this shit right now, I'm out. And so then you get to find out and you really only attract and keep the people that want to be here. Because if we've been real here, guys, that's why I stopped doing infield content on the channel. I stopped doing infield content on the channel. I've spoken about this in other potters for sure. In fact, not even just other potters. On the last infield breakdown, was it? Yes. Yes, no, maybe. It was either the instant date after meditation or it was a breakdown of an instant day. And I said, if not in both of them, definitely in one of them, that the reason why I stopped doing infield was because it was attracting the audience I did not want. It was attracting the audience of people that did not take action. The people that request infield are the people that aren't taking action. I've never met a person, I've never met a guy in all the communities that I run in in all the guys that I've met across the years that is killing it in his dating life, that is going out each and every single day, each and every single night, that has messaged me, coming back saying, now listen, Adam, I need more infield breakdowns. I need to see more of this. I need more. I need the lay. I need the pool reports. I need the lay reports. I need this stuff. I've never heard that ever. Why? Because they're out there doing the thing. Those people will still message me. They'll message me with high level shit though. They'll message me saying, Hey Adam, I was uh, I was in bed with this girl the other night, and she froze up on me. What do you think this could be about? Oh, let me run you through this. You know, so it's like they're actually talking to me about real world experience. Anyways, that was a bit of a long winded thing, but it's bringing me back to the whole point of attracting who you want, and that's why I changed the entire direction of this uh, channel and what I was doing in life. Let me reset. I changed the entire direction of the channel based on having my ear to the floor, listening to the comments, listening to the DMs, and realizing that. There was a time where I felt maybe that was acceptable, at least until I had not put out a good breadth of different infield-based situations. But once they're up, they're up, and yet it didn't stop. So I was like, "This has got to. This has got to. This. I can't live life like this." I did not get into this journey of the bowl to be this perpetual infield poster, because it didn't signify to me the audience that I wanted, which was an audience that was committed to change. If you are evolving and if you are growing, you shouldn't be requiring the same materials that you had a year ago. You should be requiring new materials. You should be requiring a new whetstone to sharpen your blade upon. Right? You 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 should have you should have worn out, you should have used that sword so much that you need a new sword, is what I'm saying. So, anyways, bring it back in here. Tactical advice, <laughs> tactical advice in this photo on life and death. Let's uh Let's put out the most unfiltered version of ourselves and attract who we want. And I've, I've never looked back on that. And I've never, I've never uh, been so fulfilled in the five of you, in the 10 of you that will DM me after this podcast telling me that you appreciated that deep level shit. And that's just, it does it for me. It does it for me for sure. So would I recommend that all of you now start doing daily meditation on the death of your close ones? 
It's up to you. It's up to you. What I would say to you though, because you guys know me, I'm not the type of person that sit here and tells you what to do. I'm the type of person here that would sit here and question, that would ask you to question yourself and go, whether you think the way to find out whether you need to do this more or less is to just go through one visualization. I encourage you to go through one visualization of the most heinous way of your close friends and families dying. And then that's not just that. So sit with that and enjoy, not enjoy that, but well, actually uh, at least be with it. But then please be with the post. Please be with the aftermath. Please sit there and walk through your day-to-day life but remove the presence of your close loved ones. If you no longer have an intense emotional, physical reaction to that, you probably don't need to do this as much because what that would signify is that you've come to harmony with this idea of this life. And it's going to take some work. It's going to take some work because I feel, and this. let me say this, I've been doing it for at least since Matt passed away. At least, but before that as well, before that I would do it, not as regularly, I've been doing it real regularly, like over the last year or so, but definitely from, I can mark, I would say three years now, and I would say, I would say last night when I was meditating on this, on a scale of zero to ten, ten being you're almost breaking down in tears, and zero being that it doesn't afflict you at all, I would say that my emotional response to visualizing my mum and brother, uh, and my father, uh, that's an interesting thing. That's an interesting thing. I, now I have to talk about it because you heard me hesitate on father. Ah, fuck, but it's a different tangent. So let me, I'll park it. Don't worry, we'll get back to it. I will get back to why I did not include my father in the sentence. Uh, fuck. Yeah, we get some deep shit here. So let me, let me just make sure we will get back to that. But it's not the entire point of what I was saying. What I was saying there is that when I was visualizing the close ones that are in my life right now, my emotional response was maybe a four and a half, maybe a four, four to four and a half, which was that I would still get a slightly elevated heart rate. I would still get, I could feel my blood pressure tightening, but I was no longer sweating. I used to sweat. I used to sweat when I would visualize and be with the death of my friends and family and more so the post. I think what you'll find is that you have to go full length with this. It's not just, it's not just visualizing your your brother getting into a car accident. It's the walking through your life afterwards and how you're going to be in that. That's what I find for myself anyway brings up the most intense emotional response because that's what you have to live with afterwards. And more, and that goes beyond the acute pain in the moment. This is now the chronic endurance, the chronic endurance of suffering that you place upon yourself. And so that's very interesting. And so I would look into that and I would look at your emotional response to that. For me at the moment, it's about a four to four and a half. And I know it's very arbitrary, but it's based on my own response. Like a 10 for me was, uh, yeah, you pretty much start crying. You start crying at the idea of it and you break down. And not just break down and start crying, but you shut off the visualization. That to me is a full-blown 10. A full-blown 10 is a physical response for sure. Tears, crying, uh, maybe even throwing up for some of you. That's really intense. But but definitely that you want to shut off the visualization. And so I can definitely say at this point, I've got beyond that. I'm definitely uh, cultivated myself to the point where I no longer desire to shut off the visualization. That was younger Adam. Nowadays, I welcome it. I embrace it because I know it is good for my learning. I know that it's good for my cultivation. I know that it is only going to force my blade to become sharper. 
It's only going to develop the garden within my temple. So, so you just check yourself on that. You just check yourself. And when you get to a zero, you know, some people might say, is that even healthy to get to a zero? Because what would a zero be? A zero would be that you feel, is it that you would feel no emotional response to the visualization of your, of your close loved ones? Is that what a zero is? Because I don't, I'm just thinking here. Don't worry, guys. I will get back to the father thing. It's still in my mind. It's still in my mind. Is that what, what I'm getting at here? Hmm. I think a zero for me, I haven't really just, it's, I haven't really thought about it. I just guess I haven't even thought about what the end game of it is. But if I was to just take a swing at it, and guys, this is me really just thinking on the fly here. I might need some more time with this. Maybe a better question would be, where would I like to get with this? Because I don't think a zero for me is no emotional response. Because there will always be an emotional response because we're human beings. We live in the world of 10,000 things. We have an emotional system. We have a limbic system. We have a hardwired 10,000-year-old mind that sees our our closest of closest as being integral to our survival. So it only makes sense that we have some form of emotional response to the potential death of our close ones because we rely upon them for survival at the most limbic part of our brain. When you get down to the brainstem, when you get down to the amygdala, there's always going to be some hard wiring there. So I don't think zero is no emotional response. I feel like zero then, or the happiest, where I would like to get with this training, if you could call it, there's probably no end game. I don't, because really what that is, is that to say that there was an end game or to say that there is a point at which that I am happy with where I'm at with this now and I no longer need to practice this, I no longer need to cultivate this part of, and get better with this, would be to say that I'm perfect with it and that I've come to a perfect harmony with death. And just like my approach to life in general, to me, my approach to life in general is the path to perfection. But I only do that because I know that I will never reach it. I've said this in the last potter. I, I definitely said this in the last potter. That the journey of life to me is the journey to perfection. And the only reason why I walk that journey is because I know I'll never reach it. Otherwise, I'll never walk it. I would never walk the journey of life if I knew there was a perfection point. If I knew there was a perfection point. If I knew that at at step 10,052, you're done. Or if I knew that at session 129, you're done. You will reach this perfect point of of coming to full harmony with death. I, it just it wouldn't interest me. It w- I wouldn't want to do it. I would search for a different thing. I would search for a path that would allow me to walk it for life. You need to let that sit. You need to let what I just said over the last minute or two marinate. Not because I'm telling you to live that mindset or to live that life, but because I feel like we all need to understand that mindset. Again, you don't need to think like me. You do not need to think like me. I I get scared. I get worried when some of you DM me and you talk like me. I get scared when some of you use my own terminology as well as I do. And I get scared of that because I don't want any of you to get dogmatic about my teachings, about the way that I am instructing. I want all of you to integrate and synthesize what I am putting forward. Right, when I put forward what I'm saying right here, I do not want any of you to be sitting there going, that's how I'm going to think. That's how I'm going to be. Because especially the youngers of you, 
the youngest of you have a very huge tendency to do this. The tendency to hearing someone older than you speak something that you resonate with and then to just go, I'm going to think that way, I'm going to speak that way, it's it's like hardwired within us. It is because I was like that. I was like that and I realized that it fucked me up so many times because you think this for a little while, like you might hear you might hear one of the guests on the JRE talk this way and you go, oh, I love the way that that person's talking. I'm going to talk like that. I'm going to think like that. But then, and you and you think that that's the be all end all, but then you, Joe might have someone, the complete opposite, the complete antithesis of that person come on in the next week and put forward just as constructive arguments, just as confident in their belief behind what they're saying. And all of a sudden you go, oh, there was another way of thinking about this. There's another way of thinking about this, and it forces you to either you either you either learn or you burn. Right? You you either look at that and go, "Fuck, I was too dogmatic, I was too biased towards one way of thinking." Now I've, I was I went too far off the track. I went too far to the extreme. I went too far to the left. Now I realize that there was a right. So now I need to get myself back to the middle way. I need to get myself back to the middle path and just take the best, take the best of things, but never buy so heavily into one way of thinking. And I'm not sure which philosopher said this, but hold your beliefs very loosely. Hold your beliefs very loosely. Yeah. So anyways, where I was going with that is that I just don't want any of it scares me when some of you youngins get a little too dogmatic what I'm saying. And that's not me telling you not to use my vernacular. Well, let me reset it. This is not me saying that you can't use my lingo and you can't use my vocab and all the different analogies and catchphrases that I've just developed over the years. That's not me saying don't use them. All I'm saying is that the mindset behind them, or not just the, sorry, not just the mindset, scratch that, because actually some of the mindsets are pretty damn good. But never take any of those mindsets and think that they're the be all end all. Because as you can see, as I've said many times in this actual one potto, that I would like to come back in a year and look back on what I'm saying right now and to have another layer of foundational understanding. I would love to come back in a year and look at what I'm saying right now and go, maybe not his way off, but there was so much more that he didn't see, that he could not see at that time based on his current evolution. So I'm the same with all of you. I want you guys to have the same perspective towards life, that you should always assume the possibility of being wrong. Because and there's very few things that I say you should do in this life. But if there is one thing, if there's a couple of them, there's a couple of key things. One of them is always assume the possibility that you could be wrong and not just wrong based on your assumptions of other people and your assumptions of other people's mindsets and other people's way of looking at things. But always assume that you could be wrong yourself right now based on your way of thinking. like the your Everything that you come to this life with, assume that it could all be tomorrow shattered. And that you could find a new way of thinking and that you should be willing to at least investigate, at least understand. Because there is nothing more unattractive to me than a dogmatic, hardened, dry root human. The hardness in people turns me away more than anything else. When I'm on a date with a girl and she's just so set in her ways about things, she's so about, she's like, not vegan's the only way to, only way to eat. No, I'm out. I'm out. She's like, no, this is the only way that you can be politically aligned. I'm out. You know, and of course, they're not going to say that, but that's how they talk and that's how their subconscious energy comes forward. There is nothing more unattractive to me than a human being that is hardened because this whole life is magic. This whole life is crazy. 
when you really stop to think about what life is, and I think Elon Musk put it forward real good. He put it forward real good on the JRE when he said to Joe, listen, the universe is 13.8 billion years old. Being generous, modern civilization, seven to 8,000 years. Being very, being very generous there. Just think about that. You can't. You can't think about that. So for us to have this tiny little marble, this tiny little marble of a planet in, in a galaxy that is a grain of sand within the ocean of galaxies and universes that we, can, we don't even aware of. Like we can only perceive certain things. And to think that, to get, to, to get so dogmatic about one way of thinking, whether it be about politics, race, it be about way of eating, a way of training, it be a way of dating, uh, anything and everything in this life that you could possibly get attached to, just step out from our little planet and our little moment in time right now and we just rewind pre-7,000 years, pre-10,000 years. Right? Re- re- rewind pre-300,000. How often do they think Homo sapiens, modern sapiens are? I think it used to, they used to ballpark it at roughly 100-something thousand years that sapiens have been around, but there was a recent discovery and I think they pushed the date back to roughly 300,000 years that maybe we thought we had been developed as Homo sapiens. So you just even go back before that, and that is a blink of an eye in the scape of the entire universe, and that how little existence, it's, it, it, you can't put it into perspective. So what we're doing right now, it's all magic. It's all magic. And for you to sit there and tell me that this is the only way you can be, it's so unattractive. It's just the most unattractive thing I've ever seen, because what that is saying to me is that you are disrespecting the magic of life. And when you disrespect the magic of life, you have no place in mind. You have no place in mind. I will still maintain my compassion for you. I will still maintain my compassion for you on the most deepest of levels because that's part of my duty in life. It's part of my duty in life that I take the responsibility to maintain compassion for all beings of this life, no matter how evil, no matter how many wrongs you commit, no matter how much you fuck up, I will still maintain my compassion for you as a being. No matter how good you are, no matter how much awesomeness you do, I'll always maintain that compassion, okay? But that does not mean I want to spend time with you because I know it's going to affect who I am as well. So if you're going to be like that, we can't spend time together. It's so unattractive to me. Isn't that an interesting place to take this? Hold on, we're running out of water here. Oh, but look what we got here. Something I prepared earlier. (laughs) Hold up. Oh, shit, let me swap these out. Let's swap these out. Yeah, uh, water setup, typical. Typical. Actually, there's no lime in this, but it's lemon, it's uh, ginger, fresh cut, sun, and also uh, Himalayan rock, Himalayan pinky. Okay, so I feel like I feel like this is a good place to wrap. I feel like we've dived into some pretty deep philosophical shit. And you know, I've called this, I call this bottle on life and death, yet we haven't really spoken much about life. I think on the last one, we did similar to what we did on this one. Oh, shit. What the fuck? That camera just shut off. My bad, guys. I freaked out because all of a sudden my camera just shot off. And I'm like, did I forget to hit record? Because that's what happens. If you hit to forget to hit record, of course, the camera's going to shut off. But then I realized that I got back to it and it said card's full. Because I forgot to clear the card from the last potter. So what were we even talking about then? Oh, on life. And we don't really speak too much about on life. Which is, I, I feel like as we wrap up here, maybe next year. <laughs> maybe next year we'll talk about life a little bit more. But we... You know, 
this is my perspective. I'll wrap with this. This is my perspective towards life, which is that it's all magic. It's all insane. It's all ridiculous. I can't believe that we're even here. And that each and every single day, I am willing to part. Each and every single day, I question myself, Adam, can you die happy today? And I always say yes. Yeah, fuck, we always go back to the death, don't we? (laughs) It's hard to stay on it. But the reason why I can always say yes to that is because each and every single day, I'm just so grateful to even be alive. And I have no attachment to it whatsoever. It is a miracle that I have made it to 25 years of life at this stage. And I have been blessed to live 25 years worth of life? What? What? Some people go much earlier than that. Some, it's... the human race in and of itself, it's like even if you were to take the into account every single human being right back from 300,000 years ago when we thought, when we think that the first humans, Homo sapiens were around, up until the baby that was born just right now, if you take into account all of those people, every single one of them that died as well, right? All of them. They're all ridiculously lucky to have even existed at all. Because for the longest of time, even just on this planet, which has not been around that long in the scape of the entire universe, right? Earth itself is not that old in relation to the 13.8 billion years of this entire universe. So when you think about that, each and every single being that has ever existed as a human being on this planet is so, so lucky. So, so lucky. And let me wrap on this. Let me wrap on this. There's something that I say to myself in my morning routine every single morning, and it came from a book. And I don't like to dive into too much of this stuff because I like to keep this between me, myself, and I when it comes to my mental routine in the morning. I have a whole thing that I go through. So I'll let you guys know about the structure, but to me, that's a sacred thing between myself and the universe, so to speak. But there is one thing here that I, because it's not technically mine, but it's something that I've incorporated into my being, which is something that I got from the Dalai Lama in the Book of Joy, which is, and it's not even his. It's He, he got it from, a, I'm not sure which sutra he got it from, It might not have even been a sutra. It might have been some other philosopher speaking on some other sutra. But he was the first person I heard it from, so I always just say from the Dalai Lama. And it's a prayer that he recites each and every single day, which I've now taken on myself, which is this. So long as space remains, so long as beings remain, I shall remain in order to help, in order to serve, in order to make my own contribution. I will remain. And this is a prayer that he recites each and every single day. And ever since I've read that in the Book of Joy, which is probably getting on past a year now, there hasn't been a single day gone by which every single morning I wake up and that's not a part of my morning routine. It's a part of my morning routine and I adjust the words to adjust my purpose and to adjust what I'm going and my path and use my own lingo in it. But to me, that's why I could never commit suicide. I could never commit suicide because to me, why Why would I ever want to give up this opportunity to be alive in a time when it makes no sense that we are? It just makes no sense that we are. And I get it. And this that's no reflection on anyone else. It's definitely not a reflection on my own best friend. Life is hard. Life is hard. But to me, life is good. And life is good because it's hard. I love that. Absolutely love that. So, Yeah. So I was just thinking about, do I need a reset uh, because my time was going to go off or should we end it here? Should we just end it here? I think we should send it here. You know, I, often, I don't speak too much on the life side of things as much, but please know that, that that's just because I feel like that's not what 
you guys need from me as much because I live that. If you follow me on the gram, you see my enthusiasm for life each and every single day and I just live it. But there's nothing more magical to me than the existence of human nature. There's nothing to, there's nothing more magical. How this could even come to be is nothing more magical. So each and every single day is a blessing. Oh, that's why I wrap up with that. I, I'm happy to die each and every single day. I am happy to die. I am happy to go right now because I don't own life. I do not own life. And it was just such, it was just such an occurrence. It was just such a ridiculous occurrence that I even came to be in the way that I am right now. That if I got to look back, if I was to die right now and I got to look back, I'll go, hey, the fact that I even existed was more than enough. It was far more than enough. Hey, I could have been a chestnut. I could have been a tree. I could have been a spore. I could have been something so, so much with such less ability to perceive this life in terms of just, well, and hey, that's just as far as I know. Maybe maybe those beings perceive things that I can't perceive. Hey, I don't know. I don't know. But from what I can see right here, to have been born as a human being is, it's insanity. It's insanity. So I'm happy to die each and every single day. And I wake up with that and I go to sleep with that. And that's why I try to do as much as I can in each and, several, each and every single day to help those around me. Because if I'm going to be here, if I'm going to be here, I want to have the best time. And for me, the best time is making sure that the best of you are having the best time as well. So that's definitely we're going to end this. That's a high note, baby. And I just thank you guys for being on this journey for sure. Thank you so much for being on this. And for those of you that are dealing with death right now, if you are, please feel free to reach out to me. Please feel free to DM me on the grams. <laughs> on the grams? In the grams. At Uitang1, 8tang one Hit me up on the website in the about section. Contact me form there. And you're on the outro. I'll, I'll list up these things in the outro as well. And it'll all be in the show notes and YouTube links and whatnot. But I'll just say here because I, I do always, I, I, the outro does come, but you know, it's, I see you all. I see you all. And I'm here with you right now. So I thank you. Run the outro, baby. Okay, my friends, thank you so much for diving in on this pot of me. I appreciate it. If you would like to connect to me outside of it, hit me up on the ground at Uitang1, double Tang one Cyber DMs there. Connect on the daily content there. If you'd like to send me an email, hit me up on balldojo.com, which, of course, this portal is brought to you by, where you guys can pick up my ebook, Crash Course to Kick-Ass Day Game. You can book one-on-one Skype coaching, nail those limiting beliefs, destroy them, and also create action plans to move forward. Ongoing coaching, require within, inquire within, and also boot camps. Dive in for the deep immersive boot camp. Get your social shit going. It's a good time. And that's all through boldojo.com. And for those of you that would like to support this podcast, you can donate anything you wish through my PayPal link, paypal.me forward slash A-D-A-M-O-O-I. And I'm extremely grateful for those of you that are able to give anything that you can to support this podcast. Thank you so much. And that wraps us up. So I thank you guys so much for being here with me on the journey. I'm here with you. And I wish you the best in life. Sincerely, truly, much peace and much joy. Ciao.